business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Now I make money move. You can't see me. My time is now. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, the show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Mensel. I am your host, and I'm joined by a very special guest for this episode of the podcast, Miss Callista McKenzie joins me. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Let me give you a proper introduction because I gave you a little, a mini introduction. Uh, Callista, for those of you who don't know, most of you will, but for those of you who don't know, uh, Callista is an MJ and TMJ apparel sponsored athlete. Uh, She is Australia's youngest ever IFBB bikini pro. I think so, at least. We're pretty sure. (laughs) We were just having a discussion off camera, but we're pretty sure. Um, She is visiting Adelaide for the very first time, uh, coming to visit us us here, I should say, at MJ headquarters. Um, It's been a busy couple of days for you. How have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I've enjoyed it so much. It has been go, 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 but wouldn't have it any other way. I love how we've just jammed everything into these these couple of days. It's um, given me a really good opportunity to explore a little bit of Adelaide as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and meet the team. Absolutely love that. Great yeah, team. Yeah, and that's a big part of it as well, especially for your first visit to come and, uh, to, to come and meet the team because you signed with us just after you turned pro uh, in, well, you turned pro in April this year and uh, you signed on in May. And so it's only yeah. been like three months. Yeah. 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 Not very long at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. I haven't seen you guys um, have many people on the podcast, um, any sponsored athletes that is um, for a while at least. I'm just, I was so stoked to hear that you guys wanted me to come. Yeah. Absolutely. And super excited to have you. Uh, I think the the listeners and the viewers are really going to enjoy hearing about your origin story, your, your, your background story, kind of where you've come from and how you got to be. Australia's youngest ever IFBB Bikini Pro. Uh, And along the journey, there's been some different challenges and there's been some lessons learned and there's been a whole bunch of uh, things that we're going to dive into and really kind of extract as much value as we possibly can for the listeners and the viewers. So I'm excited. Let's dive straight in. And I know that the listeners are probably going to go, you know what, we're going to get straight into the competing side of things. But I actually want to flip the script a little bit. I want to talk about your personal life growing up, because I think that it's something that not a lot of people know about. And I think that it's a big part of, uh, you know, the woman that you have developed into. So talk to me a little bit about that. Absolutely. Okay. So you're definitely correct when you say that not many people know this side of me. I guess it just doesn't really come up in general conversation, you know, but I did have, um, I guess you could say a tricky upbringing. It's just full of a lot of lessons that I learned in like a short period of time. So um, growing up, I was really into my AFL since maybe like grade three, really obsessed with it, despite living in Queensland, you know, not many people are into that. So I was kind of like a little bit of an outcast, but I did have a a good team, good group of girls around me, which I absolutely loved, were supporting one another, et cetera. So naturally I fell into that and absolutely loved it. Um, When I was uh, 15, however, there were a few things going on at home that were not ideal. And thankfully I was mature enough to know that these kinds of things didn't have to happen. There was just my mum kind of wasn't really coping too well and um, a lot of her stresses were just put on to us as kids, myself and my little sister. So, um, And it was just just you and your little sister living just with your mum at yeah, the time, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, some things like a lot of the responsibilities to do with, you know, raising my little sister, I kind of had to take some of those on board as well and look after her a lot. Um But also, yeah, she was trying to study at the same time as well. And I think she was just finding it quite difficult to balance. Therefore, you know, there was a lot of stress, a few breakdowns, you know, and whatnot. But it did get to a point where I thought, you know, I I don't, like, this is not normal. And I knew that I was going to go places in my life. I wanted to make the most out of my life. I knew that from a very young age. Um, 
and thankfully I had my dad. He wasn't nearby, but he was. I always knew that he was just a phone call away. So called him up, said, hey, Dad, I don't really enjoy being here. What are some options, do you think? And I had two options at that point. Because I was so in love with the sport of AFL, I thought that putting up with this for the time being, maybe a short period of time where I was, um, you know, having to deal with these things at home, I thought that that may potentially be worth it just purely because I loved AFL so much that I did see a future in it for me. I really wanted to push for the women's AFL. Anything I do, I naturally just want to go straight to the top. Like I can visualise myself doing well in anything that I put my mind to. Um, But the other option was removing myself from that environment where I wasn't um, thriving. I was kind of just surviving, if that makes sense. So I could remove myself from that situation and uh, kind of like restart in a great environment that served me and I felt incredibly comfortable in. Um, So I was tossing up those two, you know, putting up with the home situation, moving out and kind of restarting fresh. And thankfully, I had a few people in my life that were kind of pushing me in the right direction. But I came to this decision on my own where I knew that restarting was the healthiest option and the most beneficial to me in the long term. I could have thought short term, but even at 15, I knew that thinking long term would benefit me more in the future. So I did. We we removed me from that situation and I kind of started living as opposed to surviving. So super proud of myself for doing that at such a young age. That was arguably one of the most important decisions I've ever made in my life. And that kind of set a precedent for me as to how I'm going to um, continue on in my life. Yeah, mm. if that makes Huge. sense. Huge. Uh, mm. Incredible at 15 years old to have uh, that sort of wisdom. I guess. You know, to be able to kind of balance those things and then, you know, make the decision with, with I mean, I don't know. I think when I was 15 years old, I wasn't thinking long term. Yeah. <laughs> it was week by week at that point. Exactly. That's incredible. What decision did you end up making? Yeah, so my dad helped me to um, relocate, even though he was, um, you know, working away, uh, I believe, down in Sydney. He was able to support me here and there uh, with whatever I kind of set my mind to. I think we decided on moving me to student housing where... um, So I was living with my auntie for a little bit, um, doing a little bit of uh, year 11 uh, while I was living with my auntie. And... um, but after year 11, I think I just wasn't enjoying school. Wasn't your thing. Um, wasn't my thing. And I looked at my dad and I was like, hey, I don't really want to do year 12. And he said, that's totally fine. Um, what do you think you'd like to do instead? And we were thinking about AFL for a little while. You know, I, we kind of wanted to push me in that direction a bit, but ended up deciding on something that would have pushed me in the direction of university, which was doing a uh, tertiary preparation pathway course that would qualify me as um, completing year 12. Um, So I did start that, but he put me into like student housing for the university and um, helped me with kind of like paying for that and and starting like my adult life a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 100%. What's, um, I'm interested to know, obviously that, period you moved out of home living with your mum to go and effectively live by yourself in student housing. Uh, what's your relationship with your mum like now? Yeah, my um, this is actually a really good one. So um, she finished the university course that she was studying back then. Uh, she started at the age of 40. She decided that she was um, in love with paramedical science. And since then, she has been on her own kind of personal journey. And I've kind of identified that she's done so much personal development since I was 15. And, you know, I've only got one mum. I want my kids to have a grandma. And, uh, yeah, I kind of want to have her around. You know, she deserves to have me in her life and I definitely deserve to have her in my life. So through a little bit of... um, kind of tough times, you know, a lot of communication. We managed to mend that relationship. And, uh, yeah, now we're as good as ever. That's yeah. amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. And and really, based on that really difficult decision that you made at 15. And she respected the, that, thankfully, yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. You mentioned AFL, and we're going to segue a little bit here because now this kind of 
ties into the Callista that everybody knows, IFBB Bikini Pro Callista. So you were playing AFL, grew up playing AFL, as a teenager playing AFL, and then you have a pretty serious knee injury, right? And that's kind of the segue into how you learned about physique-based sports. Yes. So let's hear a bit about that. Totally. Okay. So when I was um, living in student housing doing my uh, my tertiary preparation pathway course, I was also playing some club AFL and uh, that was, you know, keeping my love for the sport alive. Um, however, I did go on to play a couple other games here and there and, yeah, managed to completely rupture my ACL and tear up my meniscus in the process. Apparently a couple people, a couple girls in the field heard it snap. Uh, I did not hear anything at all and I tried to get back up actually. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it didn't. It didn't happen. It was completely swollen. It was crazy. But yeah, so as a result, I was in a knee brace for a fair while um, and uh, doing a lot of physio after that. However, uh, while I was in the knee brace at 17, that is when uh, I met my partner, Ethan. And as a lot of you might know, um, Ethan is, has like a very strong love for the sport of bodybuilding. Mm. And before I met Ethan, I actually didn't know that it existed. Full stop. Yeah. So of course you see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, you see, um, you see big muscly yeah. guys and girls, but you don't know that there's like, you know, a competition associated no. with that, right? It's kind of like, they just lift weights and they look like that. Totally. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Ethan introduced me to the fact that pretty much anyone that has a love for the sport can compete. And uh, I started, you know, researching, you know, who are doing these competitions, what kinds of competitions are there, what kind of divisions, you know, will they allow for people with a lower grade of muscle to compete as opposed to the really jacked people because obviously not like that. Um, But, uh, yeah, managed to find some really cool-looking chicks uh, along the lines of, you know, Janet Leug and uh, Angelica Tashira as well, and I just fell in love with their look. Like, it was absolutely stunning. I just remember seeing their transformations, you know, what they came from and now what they are, and I was like, what? How are they doing this? I want to know. Uh, so, yeah, that's where it kind of sparked uh, that for me. And at first, yes, I was that girlfriend that was kind of like, you know, why do you have to go to the gym all the time? And then, you know, I eventually gave in and ended up going with him here and there. And then Ethan ended up introducing me to mine and his first coach. We had our consult together for coaching. Um, and then the rest is kind of history, but we can delve into it for sure if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that it wasn't, sh- I mean, it was very shortly after that introduction that you kind of dive straight into a prep, right? And you did your first show when you were 18 years old. Same as me. I competed for the first time when I was 18. Very similar as well. I kind of came across the sport and within a year, I was like, I'm doing this. I'm in. I'm prepping. Let me find a show. Let me go and compete in it. So you do your first show. It was 2018 was your first show. You were 18 years old. Uh, You were living in Queensland at that time. And we'll get into your different living movements as we kind of progress through your your, uh, story, your journey. Uh, But you do the Queensland qualifier for the Arnold and you come... At my first show, 2018, uh, dead last. Dead last. Dead last. No place, literally last. But you decide, you know what, I'm going to the Arnold anyway. I've come this, haven't come this far just to come this far. Exactly. Go to the Arnold 2018 and you place 12th or 13th? Something along those lines, yeah. So almost last. Yes. But a little bit better than not, <laughs> yeah. than not dead last. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, really your introduction to competing. And, and I, I always, I'm interested to know when people compete for the first time, um, where they kind of sit on the spectrum of absolutely love the sport. This is going to be a part of what I do versus I'm never doing this again. That was shit. <laughs> Why did I waste my time? Where did you fall on that spectrum? After my first show, uh, it was safe to say that I was just in love with it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it from the get-go. I obviously knew that it was extremely tough, but I was like, look, it's got to get better from here. Honestly, we can only go up, so we may as well, you know, give it another go, keep going. And yeah. 
with my first show being the Arnold Sports Festival um, in Melbourne, I believe, uh, the atmosphere was incredible as well. So that kind of got me hooked too, right? Mm. We've got all of these amazing fitness pros everywhere around me, like while I'm walking around the expo and it's just next level excitement. So yeah, safe to say it got me hooked. It's interesting because one of the things that I always talk about when it comes to physique-based sports competition, but really any sports competition, is I'm a big advocate of committing to the process not the product or committing to the journey, not the destination. And it's interesting that you placed dead last and then pretty much dead last, but you were so committed to the process of prepping for a comp, stepping on stage, posing, so on and so forth, that that didn't even waver your passion at that point. Because for a lot of people, that would have been, oh man, I've just invested 20 weeks in this prep, all of this time, all of this effort, all of this money, and I didn't even place. And that would be the end of the line. But I think it's interesting. And as we continue through your story, you'll kind of see this as a common theme is that you were like, no, no, no. I really enjoy this journey. And that's what I'm committing to. And whatever happens at the end of the journey is going to happen. And, you know, it's going to be good or bad or whatever. It doesn't make a difference. Yeah, totally. So that's 2018. Then you have a little bit of a rough time with your reverse diet. And we'll talk about that because that's also a common theme. But you, uh, you come back the next year, 2019. Uh, you're 19 years old at this point. You do the Queensland qualifier once again. So the same show, 12 months later. How do you go? I came second at the Queensland qualifier uh, in Opens. Um, and that's the only division I did. I couldn't really afford to do much else at that time. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of like open, see how I go. We're doing this for like to do well. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, ended up taking a second at Queensland's. And that's a, a huge progress. Thank from you. Dead last to second in twelve months. Totally. Um, which I think speaks volumes for uh, not just your genetic predisposition, but more importantly, your work ethic. Um, between the two, you then go to the Arnold once again. Yeah. Two thousand nineteen. How do you go? I came second uh, at the 2019 Arnold in Opens there, which was just more than I could ever ask for. It was insane being up there, you know, in the pretty much the centre of the stage in mm-hmm. Opens. It was just next level feeling like, why are these people looking at me? Like, it, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, I can't believe I did this. Yeah, it was great. And then uh, once again, you had a little bit of a rough time with your reverse diet. Again, yeah. After 2019. Uh, but then you guys decide, yourself and your partner, Ethan, who is a, uh, I should mention, is a men's physique competitive athlete in his own right. So he practices what he preaches. Uh, you guys decide to move to Melbourne. Yes. In so, 2019. Yes. Um, so a couple of weeks or I would say maybe, yeah, two weeks after the show that was in Melbourne, We loved it so much being down there. We were like, wow, this environment is just so motivating because he actually did that 2019 show as well. Um, So we were on prep together at that point in time, which isn't really as hard as people say, you know, both people being on prep, at least we're not eating bad foods in front of each other, you know. Um, So we were motivating each other then. But, yeah, fell in love with Melbourne Um, got to train at some great gyms down there, just being around so many other bodybuilders. I feel like there's so many more down there in Melbourne as opposed to Queensland for some reason. I'm not sure. Might be equal, but we just... Melbourne is the home of bodybuilding in this country for sure. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we ended up just deciding we wanted to move and kind of just moving. I think that we definitely should have planned it a little bit better looking back now, but... We will never take that back. It was such a great experience being down there for sure. Well, you speak you speak of kind of looking back and perhaps thinking you should have planned it better. One of the things that you definitely couldn't have known was that the within a few months of you moving to Melbourne, there'd be a one in a hundred year pandemic. And oh. Melbourne would be the most locked down city in the world on yes. the planet. Yes. So you guys are in Melbourne. You've made this big move. You're loving life. You're training at all the bodybuilding gyms. You're living the lifestyle. And then COVID hits, yeah. lockdown, and you're like, man, what what the hell? Just what is this? Oh, what did you guys do? Well, so 
what we were both doing for work at that point in time was um, face-to-face sales. So I was doing a lot of door knocking Mm -hmm. and Ethan was doing a lot of business-to-business sales. Mm -hmm. And that was the first occupation to go because obviously face-to-face, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, we just were in lockdown immediately, like when it first hit. And um, we were... It was like forced couples counselling as well. We were stuck in the same room, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was crazy. Um, But it's definitely made us as strong as we are today. Um, But it was getting to a point where we're feeling so isolated and we were really feeling the distance between ourselves and our family. Like we did make this move to propel ourselves forward. We wanted to move down to Melbourne to progress, but it started to feel like we were not able to do that anymore. So we were just yearning to be close to family. Mm. So we, um, despite everything that was going on, we kind of bit the bullet and decided to move home in August or September of 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right in the middle of lockdown between border closures and and everything that it's, it feels like a bit of a time warp really when we kind of look back For at sure. it and, and, and talk about it. But sure. so you guys moved back to Queensland. Um Sunshine Coast, which is where you live now. Yes. And a few years go by, let's call it the COVID time warp. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> then you're like, you know what? It's time to compete again. Yes. And at this stage, it's twenty end of 2021, start of 2022. So you have been three years away from the stage. Yes. A little bit by choice, a little bit kind of forced because we didn't have shows to compete yeah. in. Uh, 23 years old, you do the Queensland qualifier. You win the Queensland qualifier. You win the Queensland overall. You mm. then go to <laughs> you then go to uh, the national pro qualifier. Yes. You win your open class. You go into the overall. Oh. You win your pro yep. card. You go into the pro bikini show. Yes. And you place third. Yes. Amazing. Seriously. Look at uh, the smile on your face. I can't. Oh. <laughs> it's one of the best days like that. That nationals at pro qualifier, winning my pro card, and then yep. getting to stand alongside pretty much, I'm happy to say this, all of my idols. Yeah. Seriously, these women I look up to, you know, they've earned the epitome of the IFBB world, the pro card. Yep. And now I'm standing up there with them. Like, what is going on? Yeah. My routine for that pro show has got to be my worst work <laughs> to date. I was shaking the whole time, honestly. It was just. Oh, next level excitement, nerves, proud of myself, shit scared, if you don't mind me saying. Absolutely. And yeah, it was just Well, nuts. you went, you went, to, uh, a couple of questions about that. I'm interested to know. The first question I have is coming into that show, coming into the season, even before you had done the Queensland show, did you have an expectation? You know, obviously you did in 2018, not great, but first time, rookie season. You've done 2019. You progressed huge, right? You went from dead last to second place. Coming into 2022, was there expectation that, you know what, it's like I'm going to win? No. No. I, I, don't, I don't think I would have done too well if I put that level of pressure on myself. Um, the only thing I cared about from the get-go was – beating myself conditioning and muscularity-wise. That's Mm. the only thing I cared about. Um, If that means I was going to win, you know, that's obviously awesome. But I really feel like that's the only real thing that matters is beating yourself every single time. I did know, like I I was getting a feeling that something special might happen because of the collaboration that Ethan and I had going on. Usually when we put our heads together, um, some really cool stuff happens. So naturally it was a possibility. I mean... I, you just, you just never know, especially when it comes to bikini, there's people on the gram, there's people off the gram, you know, that you don't even know exist. Everyone just shows up on the day. They've worked all equally as hard and, and, um, the best physique wins. And I, I didn't expect it, but just, yeah, mind blown. Wonderful, eh? To go, to, 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 and, and I know when you say that, you know, that you're telling the truth as well, uh, because I, I know that you really, truly do commit to the journey, not the destination. And I, I mean, how wonderful is that to go in with no expectation, win Queensland, 
win nationals, win overall, straight into the pro show. My second question is, when you stepped onto that pro stage, <laughs> having just turned pro, becoming the youngest ever Australian IFBB Bikini Pro in the history of IFBB Bikini Pros, yeah, well. and you're standing next to Alex Banda and Sinead Chico and Nicole Tan, who's also one of our team members in MJ and Team J Apparel Sponsored Athlete Team, Jade McKee, you know, all of these women who you've looked up to, uh, how did that feel? I felt like I looked silly. <laughs> Seriously, that was the only thing on my mind was, wow, yeah. you must look ridiculous right now. I don't know. It just, yeah. I I don't think incredibly highly of myself, like my appearance, but I'm, I'm super sure of my work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens on the stage, I kind of just leave it up, up to the judges. You know, I do my best, um, you know, lick my plate clean, you know, like, and then, yeah, it's in their hands. But I just do my best, see what happens. And it turned out pretty well that day. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, to place to place third in your pro debut. Um, Couldn't believe it's it. It's funny, actually, that, that uh, I just realized something. You and I have a couple of things in common when it comes to competing. We both did our first shows when we were 18 years old and we both placed third in our pro debuts. Hey. Congratulations. Isn't that cool? Yes. Isn't that cool? It was nuts. You look great, by the way. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. So Incredible. did you, obviously. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, All sure. right. I've got some some deep dives I want to take here, okay. um, Callista. The first one, I want to I want to talk a little bit about this making difficult decisions. Um, and we've kind of touched on is it's a common thread that that kind of ties your journey together. But we've we've discussed a couple of them. The first one was that decision when you were very young, 15 years old, I need to get out of this environment. Um, I feel like getting out of this environment is going to be the best decision for me to make in the long term. Might not be the best in the short term because I got the AFL thing that I want to pursue and I need the support. But the long term is more important to me. And then the second decision was in the middle of COVID, in the middle of lockdown, border restrictions, picking up your shit, getting out of Melbourne because you could kind of see what was going to happen in Melbourne and going, you know what, we just need to get out of here. A lot of people in the face of uncertainty in particular, in the face of fear that the uncertainty leads to, there's three things that people will generally do. The first one is they will fight, right? The second one is they will flee or fly away or take flight. And then the third one is they freeze. Most people freeze. In the face of uncertainty, it's like, oh, shit, don't know what to do, don't know what the right decision is, afraid of making the wrong decision, so let me just stay in this situation, kick the can down the road and see what happens. In your situation as a 15-year-old, that would have been freeze, stay in the uh, not very nice living situation and just kind of kick that can down the road. So far as when it was involved with the COVID lockdowns in Melbourne, it would have been freeze, stay here. Let's just see what happens. Let's hope the government makes the right decision. In hindsight, they made very bad decisions. How do you go from that default position, the default human position, that's freeze, to no, no, no. I'm going to fight. I think I learned from a very young age that if you don't do anything about your situation, situation, it won't change. No one else is going to pick you up. You have to pick yourself up when it really, really matters. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, no one else is going to do it. You kind of just have to dig your heels in and accept that you're the only person that can change your current circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does that stack up in the face of fear though? That's a great question. Because my thing is, one, one of my, my big uh, messages, one of the things I keep coming back to, especially over the last couple of years where we've been pandemic plagued and there's been a lot of uncertainty. And even now we're kind of the pandemic's behind us, but now there's all this economic uncertainty. It's just been like literally since the start of 2020, this big clusterfuck of uncertainty. And so my message to anyone who will listen to me has been there's four things you can control, right? I say control your controllables. The four things are your actions, your responses, your effort, and your attitude. Totally. The problem with the first thing, the actions, is people understand, yeah, yeah, I'm in control of my actions. I can choose to do this or do that or not do this or not do that. Get it. The problem is a lot of people don't choose to take action because they're afraid of the consequences of the action. So in your situation, 
how have you gone, you know what, I know that actions are one of my controllables and in the face of I might make the wrong decision, I don't care, I'm going to take action anyway. I think this is a great question and this is something whenever I do make, take big steps or, you know, take some ap- action, the first thing I do is make peace with the worst possible outcome. If that happens, I'm still going to be okay. I'm still going to be alive. I'm still going to be able to, you know, buy food, eat food, you know, I'm going to have a roof, etc. But seriously, best piece of advice, if you're paralyzed by, you know, paralysis of analysis or whatever, make peace with the worst case scenario and that will just help you to move forward, I I suppose. Take that step that you really need to take. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a a guiding um, principle in Stoic philosophy is to the, I won't say the Latin because no one will understand it, but the, the English translation is to always consider the worst case scenario, right? Always consider how bad can this go? Put yourself in that position and then ask yourself, is it really that bad? That's right, yeah. Right. If I fall flat on my face and this is a really bad decision, worst decision I've ever made and everything goes pear-shaped, is it really that bad? Am I still alive? Have I learned some lessons? Can I pick myself back up? Can I keep going? Totally. The yeah. answer is always yes. It seriously is. Yeah. yeah. It's surprising as well when you really, really think about it. It does always end up being you are going to be okay no matter what. You may as well take that step, you know, make that move or, you know, take yourself out of that situation and put yourself in a better one. It uh, always pays off. Absolutely. My follow-up question though, because I know that you are big on visualization. Yeah. And I've picked up on a couple of things over the last few days because we've spent a little bit of time together. Um, I'm, I'm, whenever I spend time with somebody new uh, in close proximity, I always pick up on little things, right? And cool. you've said a couple of times over the last couple of days, I visualize this, I visualize that. We were driving past some nice houses last night and you were like, you know, Ethan and I used to walk past this house and I used to visualize the fuck out of that yeah. house, right? <laughs> yeah. So I know that you're big on visualization. Here's the next tricky question. When you are considering the worst case scenario, but you're also trying to visualize the best case scenario, how do you balance the two? Because I see a lot of people who always think about the worst case scenario, end up visualizing the worst case scenario, and through the forces of quantum physics, Mm. they end up in the worst case scenario. (laughs) That's so fair. I feel like the first thing that I would always do is visualize the worst case scenario. And that might be a little bit of anxiety, but I do feel like it helps me to make sure that it's not going to end in disaster, whatever I'm doing, right? So firstly, I'll visualize the worst case scenario. But as soon as I know that I'm going to be okay, if that does happen, I flick straight over to the best case scenario, hundred percent. Because if you're not visualizing the best case scenario, you're going to either fall in the middle somewhere or worst case. So yeah, I mean, you kind of have to just, like I said, make peace with the worst case scenario and move on and keep pushing forward. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important point, right? Is, is consider the worst case scenario, make peace with the worst case scenario and get to a point where it's like, look, if the shit really does hit the fan and I find myself at the bottom of the pit, I'm going to be okay. I'll figure out how to stand up and climb my way out of it, make peace with that. And then immediately switch to What's the best possible thing that could yeah, happen? Yeah, like why am I really doing this type yeah, of thing? Yeah, and attach your thoughts and your emotions and everything that would be involved with achieving that best case scenario outcome, attach it over there. Yeah, totally. I'm a very visual um, learner, very visual person. If I want to learn something fast, like I'll draw a diagram type thing. If I want to know what what it's going to be like, uh, you know, if I'm visualizing something, I'm going to visualize how it's going to smell, how yeah. it's going to look, you yeah. know, how it's going to feel, mm-hmm. um, what I'm going to feel, how it's going to make other people feel, yeah. um, who it's going to help, who is it not going to help, you know, like just every single possible facet of that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I really like immerse myself into that that visualization. 
Yeah. It's huge. I'm actually reading a book at the moment. Have you heard of Dr. Joe Dispenza? No, I haven't. Oh, I got to buy you this book. Oh, please. You would love it. Yeah. (laughs) It's called called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. So Dr. Joe Dispenza is arguably the worldwide authority on the practical application of quantum physics. Right. And his big thing, and this is something I've heard it many times before, it's just top of mind because I'm, I'm, I've almost finished reading this book, is it's one thing to visualize and think. So to have thoughts attached to the visualization, but the quantum universe won't reward that. You actually have to experience the emotions associated with achieving the best case scenario. That's beautiful. Right. So it's the combination of thoughts and feeling or thoughts and emotion. And then that's how things manifest. That's awesome. That's a great way to put it as well. Yeah. Wow. I I'll definitely need that book. book. I need it. <laughs> those of you listening, if you're interested, it's Dr. Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself as a little plug for Dr. Love Joe. Love that. Love that. Okay. Let's let's flip the script real quick because I I, I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners uh, who are competitive athletes themselves or thinking about becoming competitive athletes. I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners who are current bikini athletes. Yes. Right? They're girls. tuning in to want yeah. to know what Australia's newest and youngest IFBB bikini pro has to say about Absolutely. the sport. Absolutely. So the first thing I want to ask you about is choosing a coach, right? Because you you mentioned briefly that you had your very first coach. You Between your very first coach and your partner, Ethan, coaching you, you've had one, two, three, four, five, six coaches. Mm, and one that I forgot to add to that list, actually. So seven coaches. There you go. Not six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've had a bunch of experience in what makes a good coach, what to look for in a good coach, and in particular, what not to look for or what to look out for in a bad coach. So for the listeners who currently have a coach that perhaps they're not 100% happy with or they're in the market for a, for a new coach or in the market for a first coach, what advice would you give on what to look for in a coach and what to look out for in a coach? Well, first of all, if you're not 100% happy with your coach, you need to find a new one. It's probably the first time, Yeah, right? yep. totally, totally. Yep. Um. For me, I think the reason I have had probably a harder time than most is because I'm hell-bent on finding someone that is as passionate about their job as I am about achieving my goals. Mm -hmm. And the passion aspect is very important for me because the passion that I have for what I do will allow us to create something a little bit more special, if that makes sense. You know, when you've got the passion, you've got the love for it, everything just turns out better, I feel. Like you can tell when someone's following their passion. When they're producing work, if they're passionate about it, it will come off. There'll just be something, there'll be a glow about it, you know. So that's number one. Probably something else that is important is obviously you feel like they know their shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if they make you feel like they know their shit, that's great. Um, I would also recommend that maybe if you have a current coach and you're not sure um, why they're doing the things that they're doing, definitely ask. Um, Communication is very important um, with your coach. I feel like if you don't feel comfortable communicating with your coach, it might be your fault, but it could also be their fault for not being approachable, you know, for not, you know, coming across as someone who is open to all questions. And, you know, there might be an underlying reason for that. Maybe they don't know their stuff, you know, and so they're not encouraging questions. If a coach is encouraging questions, I feel like that's a great sign Mm -hmm. straight away. Yeah. Um, aside from that, if you feel like you need a coach that is close in proximity to you throughout your prep, do it 100%. For me, it was important at one point in time. However, I realized if I want the best of the best and I'm not willing to willing to relocate for it, online is totally fine if the communication is there for it. That's yeah. where it's most important. Yeah, totally. What to look out for in a coach? What are some light red flags? Uh, narcissistic tendencies. There are a few coaches in the industry at this point in time that um, maybe don't have what it takes to reassure their clients that 
they know their stuff. Um, you know, there's there's maybe a few coaches in the industry at the moment that aren't really suited to their job. They might be doing it for different reasons. They don't get job satisfaction from it. They might be doing it for money. Anyone that's in the fitness industry for money isn't going to last. It's just not how things work, unfortunately, because there's a lot of work that you have to do in being a coach. You know, if you don't love the work, like you're going to get sad about it being in the industry and it's going to come across to your clients and things like that, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. It okay. certainly does. Cool. Next thing I want to explore, and I want you to challenge me on this because I, on multiple occasions, have voiced my opinions about competing too, too young, getting into competing too early. And I've also voiced my opinions around the unrealistic expectation that a lot of aspiring pro athletes have when they come into physique-based sports. So let me just dissect those. The first one, I did my first show when I was 18. You did your first show when I was 18. I'm a little bit older than you, a lot older than no. you. Um, but uh, if I had my time again, I probably would not have competed as a teenager. I probably would have waited until I was in my early to mid-20s because now looking back on that, I understand how valuable that time period is when it comes to building a strong foundation and making a lot of gains naturally that your hormones naturally are never going to be like that again. That's right. Right? So there's a big opportunity lost there that I think uh, you, you kind of lose by competing very young. I totally agree, actually. You do? Yeah, I do. Okay. So yeah. if you had your time again, you probably wouldn't compete at 18? I mean, I love that I did it so early because now I'm able to reap the rewards right now. Yeah. Um, however, I don't think I would have minded if I did compete a little bit later because especially being a young female, um, there's some things that you go through around this point of time in your life. I mean, just the, the mental health side of things also – um, just your body image as well as a female, um, that can all come into play, especially when you're doing a physique-based sport. Yeah. So when you've got a panel of judges that are judging your body, like, mm -hmm. and you you already think the rest of the world are judging you for being yourself, like it can be a lot at times. I feel like competing young maybe did um, push me into a lot of situations where I was kind of forced to level up. They weren't necessarily comfortable um, states of mind, but they really did, you know, push me to level up. They were hard. Mm -hmm. But I think if I did have my time over again, I maybe would have, you know, spread those out. So I was able to maybe cope a little bit better. You know, Absolutely. it was it was rough competing young, um, especially after putting the weight back on. Yeah, yeah, afterwards, yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that because as, okay. a, as a young man, um, obviously I didn't have those sorts of insights that young women do, you know, in their, in their teens, late teens, when it comes to, yeah, being judged physically by a panel of strangers and standing up in your underwear in front yes. of thousands of people, you know, like there are mental health implications of that, right? So thank you for sharing That's that. That's okay. I, I want to get to the other part, but I just want to segue real quick because – we did briefly touch on the fact that between your first, second, and third show, so after your 2018 show as an 18-year-old, after your 2019-year show as a 19-year-old, you did put on a lot of weight post-show. Totally. Post-prep. Yep. Like we're talking like 20 kilos. That's it. Yep. Right? We're talking and 20 kilos as a percentage of your body weight is a big percentage. It's a lot. Right? It's a lot. How did you, how did you cope with that? So – um, I am quite tall. Uh, so maybe I'm like 178 centimeters tall. Um, I'm taller than majority of, of the female population. I think I'm like 5'11", maybe. Yeah. Something around there. 5'10". Um, so, and I hold body fat very evenly across my body. Mm. So I actually hold a lot in my arms and things like that as well. So, I think the reason I put on so much so quickly, my of course my habits were totally out of whack. I didn't have a plan post-comp, et cetera, et cetera. I was also in my feelings about it as well. You know, I was super-duper food-focused during my prep, um, not 
like a good food focused. It was, I'm watching reels of filthy food every single day for 45 minutes a day while I'm doing my cardio, you know, and you get so obsessed with it. And then post comp, you're like, wow, I can have anything that I want. And it's all like kind of waiting for me now. And I'm going to have it all at once at the same time. And I'm not going to stop eating until I feel sick. That's it. Yep. 100%. Um, So that happened post comp. I tried to dig myself out of it and then I was feeling good some days and I was like, yeah, cool, time for more food. I can handle it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of just like a compound effect of every single day like having a couple of meals that I really missed throughout prep and, uh, yeah, obviously put on a lot of weight. My metabolism was absolutely shot from prep. Like there's a lot of um, science behind why we're so – Uh, susceptible to putting on weight post-comp and that's why there is a reverse process and things like that. Unfortunately, I didn't really accept that that was the truth until recently. Um, I wanted, I I felt like I was above the reverse process for a while. It's like it'll happen to everyone else. It won't happen to me. I'm immune. Totally, totally. And um, a lot of coaches actually do put out there that the strictest part of your competing journey is prep. It's not true. Your whole journey is, you know, as strict or as relaxed as you'd like it to be. And I feel like some people don't understand that, or me, I did not understand that 90, 80 or 90% is better than nothing, you know, when it comes to like the reverse and things like that. That's where I'm at at the moment. You know, I was super duper all or nothing for a while there, which is, you know, all during prep went really well. And then nothing post-comp because I just didn't, yeah, didn't have any goals post-comp either. That's definitely a part of it. Yeah. So looking at, obviously you've competed effectively three, four months ago, right? And you haven't put on 20 kilos this time around. So you've learned a lot of lessons over the three competition seasons that you've done thus far. What advice can you give competitive athletes or aspiring competitive athletes when it comes to the reverse process, whether it's around mindset, whether it's around habits and routines, what, what sort of advice can you give? What have you learned? Okay. First of all, that all or nothing mindset has got to go. It's got to go because like I mentioned before, 70, 80, even 60% adherence is better than nothing. Another thing is do not stop your cardio immediately post-show. <laughs> but what about the don't go to the gym for two weeks, don't do cardio, oh, don't lift weights? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you are keeping your cardio in post-show, it's very unlikely that you'll have a big blowout. Um, one thing that also kept me on track uh, really well this time was not dropping my workouts. You know, I actually got – a huge, I mean, there was like two or three days post-comp where I was like, I'm having some me time. But after that, still sticking to my training schedule was, you know, it made me feel good about any extra food that I was eating. And it allowed me some some leniency in terms of what I could have. Yeah. So cardio, training, those were the non-negotiables. What about around like goal setting? Because something that I find with athletes a lot is it's like your goal during prep that keeps you accountable to your habits and routines and keeps you when your levels of motivation are low, they can kind of pick you back up is that show, right? Or those, that string of shows, whatever it is. When the last show is done and that goal is taken away, I feel like a lot of people struggle with you know, why should I continue doing cardio? Why should I continue training? Why should I continue following a diet when there's no goal? That's an awesome question. Yeah. So I really feel like the biggest, uh, maybe what made me feel like I was still yearning for or getting after it was I really took my post-show feedback seriously. Mm-hmm. So even though I won my pro card, even though I did okay in that pro show, um, I knew that I still had weak points. Like you could see it standing up there against those pros. And so when I got that judge's feedback 
I, I kind of had an idea of what it was going to be, but getting the feedback officially really helped me to keep my head screwed on tight. Like how, how quickly do you want to make these changes? For me, pretty much immediately, maybe, maybe a week or two after show, the switch was flipped from how lean can I get mm-hmm. to how strong can I get? Good. Yeah, absolutely. So the goals for me post-comp are 100% strength goals, PBs, push for that, utilize that extra food, et cetera. Yeah, 100%. It's something that I'm massive on as well, right? And I do a very similar thing. I'll, I'll give myself a couple of days post-show, right, to go, you know what, I'll just go through, the, I'll, I'll always train because I love training. For me, training for me is more about mental health than it is physical health. So that's a big part. So I continue training and I really like when I've got more calories as well, how much harder I'm able to train. So I like train like a madman the couple of weeks following so much prep, fun. right? So much it's fun. weird. And people look at me weird like, what are you doing? <laughs> but anyway, I give myself a couple of days where I'll eat what I want, do cardio if I feel like doing cardio. I go train, but I kind of, you know, do whatever I feel like um, just to kind of blow off a little bit of steam. And then for me, it's exactly the same, right? It's, you know what? It's not about being lean now. It's not about being shredded. It's about improvements, right? It's about trying to bring a better package to the stage next time I compete, whether that's in 12 months, 24 months, three years, four years, five years, it doesn't matter. That's it. And it's about strength progression in the gym. Totally. Because now I've got the bricks to do it. I've got the calories to do it. I've got the energy to do it. So, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. Yeah, PB's feel incredible. I'm going to circle back. We've been all over the place. I'm going to circle back to the other thing I want you to challenge me on. One of the other things that I'm a big advocate for, have been a big um, promoter of, uh, is making sure your expectations as a competitive athlete are realistic. And what I mean by that is I see a lot of athletes make the – well, have the wrong mindset around I'm going to compete for the first time or the second time or the third time and I'm going to turn pro, right? And that is, it's like the journey versus destination. It's very destination focused. It's like, you know, I, this is going to happen in this very short period of, t- of time. I'm going to turn pro then I'm going to make it to the Olympia and then I'm going to win the, or whatever it is, but it's all tied to destination. And why that's a problem is because almost every time those athletes don't reach the destination in the time period they think they're going to reach the destination, they get demotivated, they fall out of love with the sport, and they're done. That being said, you did turn pro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did. You did the first show, which was the rookie season. The second show progressed incredibly. The third show turn pro. So you are flying in the face of my advice. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. That being said, you are, as we've discussed, very journey focused, not destination focused. Absolutely. What are your thoughts around that? My thoughts around that. So well, what are your what are your I guess do you agree with my advice? And if you do or if you don't, what advice do you have for aspiring pro athletes when it comes to what expect, expectation is realistic around how long it's going to take for you to reach a particular goal? Okay, cool. I 100% agree with what you're saying, especially in bikini. Uh, that is because, you know, like me, many people go into their first bikini show uh, without doing an off-season prior. Mm-hmm. And... That's just setting yourself up for, you know, not the best possible outcome. You know what I mean? So, you know, I I couldn't really expect much that first show, but you do see a lot of people that are kind of so pro card focused and whatnot. And you're honestly just digging yourself a hole because there's so many things that could happen, especially in bikini. You know, there's people that are on the gram um, and then there's people that don't have the gram at all and they're just working behind the scenes. You do not know who's going to show up on that day and you also do not know what the judges are looking for look-wise. You know, they might be looking for something completely different one year 
uh, to what they're looking for the next, yeah, if that makes sense. So I just feel like putting yourself under that much pressure and that much public scrutiny as well is just not great for your mindset because if you're saying that you're going after the pro card this year and maybe you are saying it just to motivate yourself. You maybe think that you're underdeveloped or you're not too sure or what have you, but saying that out loud is maybe going to motivate you. Like, that's great. Good on you for like saying that, putting yourself out there. But, you know, there's a very small possibility that you're going to be the best out of hundreds on that day. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just don't see why you would, if that makes sense. And it literally, I'm happy you put it like that because it literally is the best out of hundreds, right? That the show that you turned pro, I think as as a promoter, I see all of the back end bits and pieces. I think there was over 200 bikini athletes, right? So you're going to be the best of the best of the best and you're going to be the top of hundreds of athletes. Yeah. Right? It was very unlikely that I was going to take that, but it's just how the cookie crumbled on that day. Absolutely. You know. So if your advice is similar to mine where it's, you know what, don't put all of your eggs in the destination basket. Totally. What should these aspiring pro athletes be focused on show after show after show? Yeah, well, what served me in my experiences is just solely being focused on beating my own condition and muscularity each time I compete. And I feel like that's why I've never done shows that are less than a year apart. I've never done that. I just, I see a lot of people like, let's do season A, let's do season B, let's do season A the following year. Maybe I'll take that one. Let's do season B the following year, you know? And you're just not giving yourself enough time to recover from each show, like just rest, you know, gather your thoughts, maybe make a new plan and um, put on the required muscle that you're missing because most of the time that's the missing link Mm -hmm. as to why you're maybe not doing as well as you think you're going to do, especially in bikini. 100%. I want to ask you about posing because this is another thing that I see with uh, competitive athletes is they put all of this time and effort and energy into a 12-week prep, a 16-week prep, a 20-week prep. And I feel like sometimes they forget that the result of the prep is what you display on stage. Totally. And if you don't know how to display your physique properly on stage because you haven't practiced posing, that 12, 16, 20 weeks is pretty much in vain. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on the importance of posing and what's your experience been with proper posing practice? That's a great question. A hundred percent posing is just as important as the whole dieting training process. Um, And that's because just like you said, you've got that time on stage, you've got that 30 to 30 seconds to a minute where you're making that impression on the judges and um, they don't know how hard you've worked. You know, all they see is what you're showing them, right? So naturally, uh, being up on a stage, having an audience, you want to show the audience the craziest uh, shapes that you can possibly bring out. And I feel like it's very, very hard to do that on your own. So consulting a posing coach is naturally just as important as your diet and training coach. Um, Yeah, unfortunately, you do see a a fair bit where some people have incredible rigs, Mm -hmm. but they just don't know how to show it, right? How to present it. Yeah, Yeah. so I made that mistake my very first show. Um, I let my first coach um, take care of my posing and I probably shouldn't have. The show after that, the 2019 Arnold's, I didn't have enough money to consult a posing coach. So what I did was I just watched an incredible amount of videos of my favorite bikini athletes. Um, I watched their feet a lot, even up to the day before the show. I was watching Angelica Tashira do a little spins on stage. I was just watching where she put her feet and when she was transferring her weight and how she was incorporating her hands throughout all of that, et cetera, to bring this really elegant look that she was um, uh, showing the judges. Um, However, I was... um, 
quite fortunate that in 2021, Donna Atkins reached out to me and I was able to work alongside her and she helped me take my posing knowledge and presentation to the next level. And that kind of pairing obviously worked really well because best outcome to date in April. Yeah. How often were you practicing posing leading into the show's just gone where you turn pro? Every single day. Every day. Every day, without a doubt. Um, Even if it's just for two minutes, you know, if you've got a jam-packed day, there's always two minutes where you walk past a mirror. Do you know what I'm saying? Just checking out your your hand movements, how your shoulders sit into place. Are they level when you're not looking at yourself in the mirror? Things like that. Like, yeah, just recording yourself, not necessarily using mirrors, et cetera. And, um, yeah. Every single day, if you're, it's it's just like repetitions, you know, you repeat something over and over again, you're naturally going to get better at it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you know, you're training most days, you're doing cardio leading up to a show pretty much every day. Exactly. You're following your diet every day. Yep. The final piece of that puzzle is 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 the posing. Definitely. You know? So I'm not surprised to hear that you practice every day. And it's How about that, you? Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Leading into a show. Absolutely. From about four weeks out. Every morning. Yeah, totally. Yeah, every morning. Not surprised. Hundred percent. It's how you be the best. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's a it's a vital ingredient that uh, a lot of competitive athletes overlook, unfortunately, and you know they put in. And I hate seeing it because me it's, too. You know, you know how much goes into a prep. You know how much blood, sweat, and tears literally go into a prep, and you're like, but you forgot the last ingredient in the recipe of success. Absolutely. Last question. What is next? Oh, great question. (laughs) (laughs) Loaded question. This is probably the most common question I've been asked since I turned pro. And I and I I ask it cautiously because I did an episode of this show literally titled What's Next? Because I was sick of people asking me what's next. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I feel like we've had a few months now and you've had a lot of time to consider it. Uh, So I'm not afraid to ask the question, what is next for Callista? I think I am going to follow the trend that I have been um, kind of exhibiting to everyone where I have long breaks between shows to make relevant improvements so that everyone's excited to see me on stage still when I do jump on stage because I kind of like, what's she going to look like this time kind of thing? And that's really exciting for me because then I know um, people are kind of interested in what I have to show them. Um, So I think initially the goal was, well, immediately post-show, I knew that I had to make uh, some adjustments to keep up with people like Nay and um, Nicole and Alexandra Bandar. So um, I'm feeling like season B next year will be awesome. I'm thinking about doing one, maybe two shows. And the reason being is because with the big goal of the Olympia, if I do take out a show in season B, I'm not going to have to hold on to that condition for very long um, because it's going to be, you know, in the second half of the year. So um, that's just, you know, me kind of visualizing the best possible outcome. Obviously, I know the worst possible outcome is, you know, you play dead last in, in a show and that's totally cool. But I think season B next year will be the earliest that you'll see me on stage again. Aside from that, just a lot of work being put into my personal life, my personal development and our business. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm super excited to see it. Uh, I'm very uh, privileged and honored that uh, my companies can play a little part in how your journey continues to progress and unfold. And, you know, I, I have no doubt that uh, you're going to be a huge success, uh, not just in the IFBB pro bikini space, but in everything that you choose to do. You've got the right mindset, you've got the right attitude, uh, and uh, I'm excited for you. Thank you so much. I think it's it, going to be awesome. I, I seriously feel like when when you guys reached out to me, I just felt like the luckiest girl in the world. Honestly, I was like, wow, I cannot believe this is happening. This is so many people's dreams, you know, sponsored athlete, et cetera. So, I, yeah, I, I really feel the support from you guys too. So Absolutely. thank you so much for having my Well, the, the feeling is mutual. And thank you for today. Uh, it's been uh, an awesome episode. We've gone over an hour already. I said we're going we're gonna to go up to an hour. We've gone an hour. I feel like we could go 
probably another two. Um, but we're gonna we're, we're gonna cut it there, and mainly because I need to get you to the airport. Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> we need to get you back. We don't want to miss uh, that. Back to the Sunshine Coast, the sunny Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Uh, but thank you, Calista. I really appreciate you sharing your story and opening up about things that you haven't opened up about publicly no, never. before. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, having the the courage and the vulnerability to do that on this podcast. I think that uh, the listeners have uh, both enjoyed listening to your story and taken a lot of valuable advice. Um, those of us who are listening who are competitive athletes and those of us who aren't um, equally as much. The one thing that we always ask in return uh, from our listeners and our viewers is if uh, they take advice or value, or if they've just been entertained by the show, we ask that they share the show. Um, And the way that uh, you guys know, you hear me say it after every episode, the way you guys can share the show is person to person. Um, You know, when you're at a family dinner or a catch up with friends and you're talking about the latest Netflix series or um, books that you've read, drop the Fitness Times Business podcast in there as a podcast that you enjoyed listening to. The second way we love seeing the show shared is taking a screenshot right now on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podbean, whatever, posting it in your Instagram story and tagging myself at Joseph Mansell and Callista. Callista, what is your Instagram handle? It is at Classic Callista. Classic Callista. And that is, of course, where, where the listeners and the viewers can find you and follow you if they don't already at Classic Callista on Instagram. That's, that's where it. you're most active as well. Um, so if you guys have enjoyed this show, uh, I ask that you do take that screenshot, share it, tag both of us in it. We'll see the tags. We'll repost them, of course, because we love spreading the love. Uh, Callista, thank you once again. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. A couple of things to round out. Firstly, if you've yet to subscribe to the Fitness Times Business Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss any future episodes. Secondly, if you guys took some value from this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. And finally, if you've yet to leave us a five-star rating, make sure you do that before the next episode.